What's up, y'all? She from Legacy Hustle here. I have a little request of you. If you truly appreciate what we're trying to do here and you enjoy the show, the sharing, the transparency, and the insights, as well as the inspiration we bring you with each and every episode, I need you to help us out as well by supporting. Go ahead and subscribe, like, comment, follow, and review as we work to get the word out to more people about the show. Also, please consider sharing the show with your entire network. Thank you. Enjoy the show. What's up, y'all? This is Legacy Hustle, a show that will highlight and amplify the stories of Black entrepreneurs and their products or services that are impacting preceding generations, future generations, or just cross-generationally. We use the word legacy not only to describe the solutions that they've created, but to also acknowledge their impact on their own family or personal circles through wealth generation and creation. The show is going to explore what their business is, how they got it off the ground, and the trials and tribulations they've experienced on their legacy hustle journey. To both inspire and educate you, our listeners, who are referred to as our legacy hustlers. I'm Sheed. I'll be your host in this episode. We'll be talking to Dr. Christopher Gay, an accomplished board-certified anesthesiologist and interventional pain specialist based in Anchorage, Alaska. He's originally from North Carolina, where he attended Duke University for his undergraduate work and subsequently earned his medical degree from the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. After completing his residency and fellowship training at New York's Presbyterian Hospital at Columbia University, he practiced as part of a large pain practice in Northern Virginia before moving to Alaska. That's right, said it again, Alaska, y'all. He went on to 2015, found the Alaska Center for Pain Relief, and he continues to live in the Pacific Northwest with his wife and family. Without further ado, we're going to get into this episode where he talks about why he moved all the way to Alaska, how he got his business set up, and, and how others who may also be medical professionals uh, can take a path similar to his. Without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to Legacy Hustle. Thank you so much, Dr. Christopher Gay, for being here with us today to share words of inspiration around Alaska Center for Pain Relief and how you got that going. Um, so wanted to effectively dive in, but before I do, is it okay if I call you uh, Chris or certainly. Dr. Gay? What's your preference? No, it's good to be here, Rashid. Thank you for having me. So certainly feel free to call me Chris. I think that'll make things flow a little easier. Sounds good. All right, Chris. So can you tell us a little bit about the Alaska Center for Pain Relief and where you got the inspiration for the idea and got started? <laughs> well, it depends on how much time you have. <laughs> the story goes <laughs> goes back a ways. I, um, I'm actually from the East Coast. I grew up in North Carolina, um, went to Duke for undergrad and went up to do my training in New York City um, at Columbia University. And then after that, I moved to Northern Virginia. And we picked that because my wife was from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and I was from North Carolina. And that was just about the halfway spot. Uh, we thought that was going to be our forever home and actually went so far as to build our own home there and then decided things weren't going in the direction that I liked clinically with patients. The practice I worked for was a very large practice. And the way they do things is a little bit different than I would 
have preferred. And so I started looking around for different options and stumbled upon Alaska, quite literally. It wasn't on my list of places to live. Probably wasn't even on my list of places to visit before that point. But, um, you know, I saw a recruiter ad and I'm looking for a job. I get a recruiter ad and the number of uh, numbers after the dollar sign were, were actually pretty impressive. And so I had so a contact your odds in Alaska. It certainly <laughs> did. It was like, Hey, something's going on out there. I don't know what it is, but I need to check it out. So I had a contact that lived here. He was actually a physician. He was the head of uh, one of the departments when I was in medical school um, back in North Carolina. And he'd moved out here during my last year of medical school. And I actually tracked him down because um, I hadn't kept in touch with him. He was someone I knew who he was, but he didn't know me. Um, but, you know, the internet and some certain practices didn't have the most, you know, savvy, uh, savvy setups at the time. So he had a website, but there was no contact information other than their phone number and their fax number. So what did I do? I went old school. I typed a letter, sent it by fax, included my contact information, and we, we connected. I came out to visit and checked out into the actual reimbursements for what, what I do. And it checked out that things actually were a lot more favorable. So you could have more time with your family, you know, work same amount, make more money, work a little less, make, you know, same amount of money. And it just seemed good for lifestyles. And so we tried not to like it because it was so far, so dark, so cold. But uh, they kept calling us back, even after checking out other parts of the country. We looked in Texas, looked in uh, Maryland, a number of places, but this seemed to be the best fit for us and not just for financial reasons. The people here generally seem really nice, silly, really seem to enjoy what they do and enjoy living here. Um, you don't end up here by mistake, you know? So um, we've been out here ever since I started the practice in January of 2015, um, moved out and actually opened the doors in March. And we have been growing and, and expanding since then. Thank you so much for just bringing us on that journey in terms of how y'all East Coasters ended up all the way up in Alaska and, and what brought you there. Can you provide more insight into making that leap from working for another firm and you had shared you weren't happy at all and you started looking at some of the numbers and it made sense, but why open up your own place, right? Focused on, right. on what you focus on. I'm glad you asked. So as you mentioned, I looked at the numbers that, and the numbers made sense. What prompted me to leave is because the numbers there actually didn't make sense. <laughs> so right. um, I found that the way I conducted myself at the, you know, with my former employer, um, I actually opened a new office for them. And I was, you know, kind of in charge of that and making sure things are going and hitting our clinical targets and things of that nature. Part of that is making sure your utilization is, you know, where it needs to be. And that you're not wasteful. And I realized I'm doing this work for somebody else. I could be doing it for myself. Mm. Um, then, you know, when you start to look at your compensation and you realize that the compensation model is skewed in a, in a sense that you're never going to be properly compensated for what you do. For instance, there was a certain amount that we could make, but the rest of it had to go towards overhead. Certainly overhead at some point is fixed. You know, you paid your rent, you paid everyone that's staff. And you should really share in the rest of those profits, but it just didn't ever, it was never palatable to me the way that was split up. And so I was like, hey, I'm doing all this work for someone else. I'm working as if it's my own place. I should probably look at starting my own place. Um, so that was, you know, the financial side of things where that didn't make sense in addition to the 
um, clinical side of things where you can be your own boss, you can do things the way you want to do if you have a patient. You know, we're in interventional pain management, so it's clinical medical practice. But if you have a patient that you know, falls upon hard times and they can't make a payment, I don't have to rely on the policy. I can say, hey, we're going to waive the fees for this particular patient. And, you know, you don't have to worry about someone yelling at you in the back room for that. So right, we enjoyed right. that. And, and can you share a little bit more about why this field of medicine that you're in is one that called to you and, and why you decided that that was what you wanted to pursue with your life? Yeah, so certainly. Um, and my story may be different from other people's, but you know, my journey to medicine, it was a bit personal um, in that my father, well, first of all, I was one of the youngest people in my family. Um, so I have cousins and everyone that's at least 10 or 15 years older. Um, my parents had us a little later in life. And so a lot of their aunts and uncles that we go visit regularly were relatively elderly, you know, when we were kids, or at least they seemed that way when I was five and six. Now, when I hear meet someone who's 50 or 60, they don't seem so old, but uh, <laughs> we uh, go visit them and they had their health issues. And so sometimes it's hospitals and things of that nature. But when I was, uh, I guess, about 10 years old, my father um, was diagnosed with leukemia. And I would go to a lot of his visits with them and spend a lot of time with him in various medical settings. And um, that really kind of solidified my desire to want to go into medicine. I didn't know what I wanted to do. At the time, I thought I would do primary care, um, maybe even psychiatry. Um, but as time uh, moved on and I progressed in my education and had different exposures, I found anesthesiology to be um, kind of a passion. And what I do now is a subspecialty of anesthesiology called interventional pain management. Um, which is an interesting story. So anesthesiologists, you think of them putting people to sleep, waking them up is what they actually get paid to do is wake them up. Um, but you also see them in the setting of obstetrics and deliveries for babies. They provide the epidural um, for the ladies to relieve that pain. And if they have general anesthesia, they take care of that. But they realize, you know, if you put a steroid in the same space that you put that local anesthetic, you can relieve pain. So anesthesiologists initially started coming between cases and injecting steroids in people's you know, spinal canals to relieve inflammation. Right. And it kind of caught on and became its own specialty. So um, throughout medical school, I really liked anesthesiology because it incorporated a lot of the things that I enjoyed, which is, you know, why do, how do drugs work, the pharmacology of it? How does the body work, the physiology of it? Um, it really was like primary care, but it's in fast forward. You know, if you go in and see your primary care doctor and you have hypertension, they give you medication and say, come back in a month or three months, and we'll see how you're doing. Here, it's more of an instant gratification where you see a problem, you fix a problem, patient comes out of surgery doing great. And so I really like that part of it. What I missed was the long-term um, interactions. So you wake the patient up, they go to recovery room, you may see them one more time after that and you never see them again. Um, with interventional pain management, it's, again, you're taking people and you're solving a problem. They come in, they can't cook or clean or just do their activities of daily living because of painful conditions. And these are young people that may have a disc herniation or older people that may have spinal canal narrowing. Um, and you take them and you hopefully make them a much better and more functional person. And they come back in a few weeks and they tell you how great things are and how much better life is. And it just makes you feel really good and warm and fuzzy inside. So that really drew me. And uh, that's what I do on a day-to-day -day basis now. All right. Thank you so much for connecting those dots for us, right? Your passion, how you fell into this space, and then, you know, what brought you from being 
over in Virginia, now to Alaska, establishing mm-hmm. your business out there. Can you tell us what's one really exciting thing about your business today? Most exciting is uh, there are a lot of cutting edge things that we do. Um, it sounds you know, high tech and sci-fi, but one of the most exciting things that we do is what's called spinal cord stimulation. Um, okay. So before, let's say if you had a disc herniation and you have pain shooting down your leg or down your arm, you might go in to see the surgeon and they fix that. They take the disc, remove the part of the disc or the part of the bone that's causing the issue, and you would think that the pain would go away. Sometimes that does not happen. Uh, the pain becomes persistent. There's nothing else they can do surgically um, to make you feel any better. And so in the past, people relied on medications, drugs, and things of that nature. And there's still some places for those, um, especially the nerve-specific drugs. But um, what this does is we implant a device, um, sort of like a pacemaker, um, and it sends signals up to the brain that it's like in in Star Wars, it uses the force. It says, you do not hurt. (laughs) And (laughs) magically, the pain goes away. You know, it's, it's much more complicated than that. But and the long and short of it is we put a device in and it stimulates the spinal cord or specific nerves directly and overpowers those pain signals and allows you to get your life back without having to rely on drugs right. or as many drugs. And, you know, that just really is, you know, really exciting on a day-to-day basis. And then just seeing the uh, improvement in people's lives and functions and hearing them tell us how they're able to go to their child's wedding or, you know, their child's graduation or their some other meaningful event that they didn't think they would be able to make it to. Mm, because the pain was so debilitating before you were able to help them with that. Indeed. Thank you for sharing that. From um, a finance perspective, right? Where did you get the money to initially start your business? <laughs> so I told you earlier how Alaska was a very special place. So we came out to visit um, initially just looking around. And there's another side story. If we have enough time, I'll go into it later. But um, we're staying at our hotel and we get a call from a banker. And the banker comes to our hotel and meets us at the hotel and says, hey, I just wanted to introduce myself. And she stays in touch with us. And then when I decided for sure I wanted to move out and start a practice, um, she actually helped set everything up. You know, And again, I'm, I'm a planner in that I don't want to spend money that I don't have and I don't really want to create a lot of debt. So right. I found a lot of ways to minimize that. You know, The system that we use to um, keep our charts and records, um, there's a fee for that, but their fee is... A percentage of what you bring in. So for the first few months, we're not bringing in anything, so I don't pay them anything. So right. all I really needed was basic operating expenses for rent um, for employees, and then we, you know, would utilize other um, local resources like the surgery centers to do procedures until we had enough volume that it made sense to um, acquire more equipment to do things in our office. And so, excellent. Uh, excellent. Mm-hmm. So it was thanks to effectively uh, a very. Um, forward-looking in welcoming banker in the mm-hmm. area, you're able to get some of that funding, and I'm assuming as well from your own personal savings, right? Um, believe it or not, I didn't really have to touch my savings very much, except for okay. our living expenses, because you know, as fate would have it, I didn't, I effectively didn't have a job, right? I was creating my own job, so there's no paycheck there. And my wife had just gone out on maternity leave, which again is a is, that's a big driver as well. Is like. Hey, we have to make it or my kids won't eat. <laughs> so, right, right. Um, so, you know, of course you go out and do the marketing and then door to door if I have time and go out and meet people and tell them, Hey, this is what I do. If you have pain, come by and see me. Um, but we actually were able to get out of debt to the bank before that first year was over. You know, we oh, actually wow. That's incredible. It. So that yeah, kind of leads me into this next question of how much revenue did you make that first year? Right. That you so, were in business. 
Yeah, and keeping in mind that you know, with medical on the medical field, there's a little delay. So, um, unless you're doing cash pay services like cosmetics, most of the things that go through insurance, you see the patient, you submit notes, and the insurance company decides if they're going to pay you or not. So there's a little delay. So we probably didn't get our first check until July of that year. Um, but between July and December, we brought in about four hundred twenty-five thousand dollars, which you know, expenses have to come out of that. But it certainly was. Uh, better than I was expecting for being in a brand new place where no one except for maybe one person knew me before I came and kind of right. really just doing everything from scratch. Right. And compare that now to what would, what's your expected revenue uh, or was your revenue by end of last year? So we probably would be higher, but of course, COVID has affected you know, a right. lot of the bottom lines, but we're probably averaging somewhere around 1.8 million to 2 million um, per year. And again, that should would likely be higher if they weren't for these COVID interruptions. Matter of fact, they put us out of business for about uh, four to six weeks in 2020, where they shut down and said no medical procedures or anything can happen. And so that was that was certainly challenging. Yeah, and so just listening to to that range, right? And and you spoke about some of the marketing that you were you were doing during that time. What has helped in terms of getting foot traffic in a place where, like you said before, you didn't know anyone, you know, so here you are coming out the blue and engaging with these different facilities that may be doing surgeries or trying to build rapport with the community. How did you get people to start trusting and and leveraging your services? What were some of the steps you took? Yeah. So, so after door to door, I know I'd go out every day for some period of time. And I remember sitting in my office being a little bit dejected because I told you, you know, my wife wasn't working. I wasn't working. Right. Well, I was working, but not getting paid. Right. Um, and I knew they were going to be moving out here. I came a few months before they did. I'd be moving out. They'd be moving out and wanted to be able to provide for them. Phone had not rung even one time. Mm. So I remember it was a Friday afternoon, about 10 minutes to five and the phone rang and I was the only one working there. So of course I answered it <laughs> and I was like, hold on, let me get Dr. Gay for you. And so um, we answered the phone and it's a, it's a surgeon. It was actually one office that I went in. I went in every office in the, in the hospital complex that we set our office up in. And it was an office that I went in. But before I went, I thought to myself, why even waste the time? They're unlikely to have many patients for me. It was a thoracic surgeon that does you know, a lot of things with the lungs and you know, ribs and stuff like that. Okay. Most common for us is a spine Thank you for surgeon. Explaining that because I was like, "What is thoracic?" <laughs> right, <Appreciate> right, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, they're usually you know cardiothoracic surgeon, you know, heart, chest, lungs, and so it's not the most common thing to get sent to a pain management. Most commonly, we're dealing with spine surgeons and maybe orthopedic surgeons, and so okay. I'm a little hesitant, but I go in the office anyway. I talk talk to them, say, "Hey, this is this is who I am. This is what I do." And give me a call if you ever have a patient. And that was my first referral was from them. They had a patient that had a. Uh, rib fracture and they could not make the pain go away. So they sent them up and said, basically, see what you can do. And a lot of that was the beginning where you get, you know, the tough cases that, you know, no one else has been able to solve or, you know, no one wanted to take them because of their, you know, maybe the insurance that they had. And so you get those, you do a good job for the people that come in and then you get the word of mouth. They go back and they tell their provider or they surprise their provider. We're like, hey, I feel great. Whereas before I didn't. And now the provider doesn't have that person complaining to them about pain. And they say, well, I've got a few more over here and they gradually send it. And so it became more of a word of mouth thing. And I think more than anything is also being out in the community. So I try to support community events, meet people, um, tell them what I do. And then if it's a meaningful event, like we've been a big supporter of the American Cancer Society every year. Um, again, it's got personal reasons for me, 
but we've supported that. And, you know, people and other physicians are there and you mingle with them and tell them what you do. And maybe you get a referral, maybe you don't, but you've gotten your name out there and it's a little name recognition. So someone says, Hey, I was thinking about going to see Dr. Gay. They're like, Oh, never heard of him. And it kind of <laughs> would be a little off putting, but right. yeah, I met him. He's a nice guy. Go check him out. And so it, it just really getting out there and just meeting the people that are there, whether they're referring providers or whether they're potential patients. I love it. I really appreciate how you've um, taken us on a journey where for most people to get up, move all the way across the country. And when I say all the way across the country, like out of the 48 continuous states <laughs> up there in the uh, upper leftmost sort of corner of the Americas, if you will, um, as well as stepping into a realm where you really didn't know anyone at all. Right. And so here you are establishing a new business and you need to connect with the community because that's where your business truly comes from. So you've laid out some really big challenges that you've been able to overcome. Are there any other big challenges that you'd like to share that you've had overcome and how you've overcome them? I think the biggest challenge certainly would be COVID. And hopefully no one has to face anything similar to that in the future. But, you know, we again, we were shut down for six weeks, four to six weeks. And you have employees and you think about, hey, we're not bringing in revenue. Maybe we shouldn't be putting out any salary, but, you know, they have lives and they have responsibilities and they have kids and families. And so I think, you know, the biggest obstacle there was balancing how do you take care of your people, you know, while also taking care of your business. And mm. what I, I chose to do at the time was, you know, we were doing great up until that point. And so there's a little bit of uh, room for me to reduce my salary um, and keep them employed. And, you know, we made it through that period and we didn't have to lay off anyone or anything like that. And so we kept all of our, all of our staff, all of our employees. Um, but there's some places that I know did made other decisions and I don't know what their finances looked like, but I think maintaining a sense of responsibility to your people and also fiscal responsibility and you know, there are other fancier offices. I think my office is nice, but I've seen some that had, you know, the fancy glass where you can see through it and you press a button and then it's opaque. You can't see. And I was like, oh, that looks great. But, you know, that wasn't something that was in, in my budget. <laughs> and, right. you know, that, and that, it's that not necessarily all, a necessity. Right. Right. And so, you know, certainly when it came down to finding funds to uh, keep our people gainfully employed, I was glad that we you know, did have some reserves in those in those situations. Um, but yeah, that was the biggest business challenge. And then the rest is just balancing family life with work life. You know, you can easily work all day and all night, but you have people that are you know, looking for you to play a role in their, their life and building their lives as opposed to just building your business. Yeah. Yeah. Legacy Hustlers, I, I hope you are appreciating um, some of the things that Dr. Gay has been talking about, right? So Chris just mentioned the fact that he had to throttle his own paycheck in terms of really thinking about the other lives that he was impacting through his business, right? Being his employees and ensuring that during the course of the pandemic, um, there weren't negative repercussions, if you will, for anyone's pay, which could have trickle down effects in their own households. And he made a decision to throttle back what was going on with his personal pay. Um, so very, very powerful lesson in terms of leadership. And sometimes when you are at the helm of a business, the things that you need to do to ensure that you stay afloat and you have a sort of culture and environment where your employees want to stay long term. So thank you for sharing that. Um, sure. Any big or major sacrifices that you've had to make for your business up to this point in time? Um, 
I say the biggest sacrifice is time. You know, again, you're, you're leaving your family and sometimes it requires you to be away from home. And so um, you don't know everything. And I think that's an important thing to realize when you start a business is that there's going to be so much more that you need to learn. So I've done several business training courses and some of them take me away for a week at a time. In addition to your continuing medical education that's required and things like that. So I'd say the biggest sacrifice is, is time. And again, making sure that you're taking care of everybody. You're taking care of your employees at work. You're taking care of your family at home. And most importantly, taking care of yourself. And if you're mm. not around, a lot of things can can go bad, whether it's with the business, your family, or or just in, in life itself. So I think making sure you are, you are okay first, um, and that's physical, mental, not just financial, um, and then looking out for everybody else that, you know, depend on you. There it is. As you take a step back and think about the Alaska Center for Pain Relief and where you're at today, where would you like to be, you know, another 10 years from now with this firm and this company? It's a great question. So, you know, we, we struggle with that sometimes because one, we're in a little bit of a geographically isolated area. So recruiting new physicians and new providers is a little bit more difficult than if we lived in a big metropolitan city where people are constantly moving and could drive. Um, so we, we've we experimented with expanding before we went out and opened a second office, and that was going well. I had another doctor that was working here part-time. Things changed, and shortly after COVID, that doctor had to leave, and we contracted back down to one, which was actually good for me because that office was about an hour away, and I'd go up there like twice a week. So again, mm. we talked about time from family. You know, the roads here aren't always so great in the wintertime. There's ice and you know treachery around every corner. and Right. Um, so just the pullback from that has been useful. So I've spent a lot of time thinking about, do I want to expand more? Um, how would I like to expand? And I think more than anything, it's being able to kind of offer our services to people. And we do a lot through telehealth and just reach people where they are so we can tell them what at least what their options are, even if we're not the ones that actually deliver the care. So I would like to probably see it expand more into a consultancy type of role for patients that are out there and even other providers that so, hey, I have this list of patients I'd like to meet with you and, and maybe have like a roundtable of what your thoughts would be, and maybe even a multidisciplinary type of roundtable online where we're talking with, you know, psychologists, because that's big in pain, um, physical therapists, you know, chiropractors, all the people that help support, you know, the goal that we're trying to reach with patients. There it is. Thank you for sharing that and just talking through some of the things that you have thought about doing and some of the things that you are looking to do. We're going to transition now into what, um, we call our five minute hustle. And it's just going to be a call and response segment where our legacy hustlers get an opportunity to hear from you. Some of the things that fill your cup, uh, some of the things that help motivate you, uh, as well as resources you may leverage and use. So one of the first things I always start off with is what initially held you back from becoming an entrepreneur? Initially, I didn't want to be one. You know, when I first finished medical school and our training in medical school, you don't get any business classes or courses or anything like that. So, you know, the the pipeline was you go to medical school, you go do residency training, you do some specialty fellowship if you choose, and then you go and, and you get a job. And so my mindset coming out of training was, let me find the best job I can find. Um, instead of thinking about what is it that really drives me? What is it that I really want to deliver to patients? And how do I want to do this? And so um, I think I probably was ill-prepared when I went in for my interview for the job. And I'm just like, hey, what questions do y'all want to ask me? And I didn't really know what I wanted enough to see if they could give me what I needed as well. 
Um, so it was really the noticing what was missing and what I hadn't fulfilled for myself and wasn't able to feel for, fulfill for my patients, which drove me to be an entrepreneur. I didn't, I'm not one of those people that spends a whole life, you know, serial entrepreneur selling, you know, magazines when their kids and this and that and the other. So I did have a pretty lucrative now and later business when I was in fifth grade. I had a little fanny pack and I kept now and laters and buying for five cents and selling for 25. <laughs> that probably was my first entrepreneurial exploit. But uh, other than that, I didn't have a serial history of, you know, having businesses and just knew I was going to be a business owner. But it yeah. grew into what it was. And I'm glad um, for the journey that I've been on to reach where I am today. There it is. There it is. Um as you reflect on some of the best business advice you've received, right? Because you've clearly told us that you weren't necessarily an entrepreneur before. And so it's one of those things that you've been on of, of recent years. What would you say is the best business advice you've received that has been instrumental or really helped you as you've embarked on this journey? It'll sound really simple, but you know you hear this over and over in different circles, but start with the why. Why is it that you want to be an entrepreneur? What is it that you want to get get out of it? Um, why are you doing it? You know, is this kind of if you're doing it just because you want to start a business, it's not going to be fulfilling, and those late nights are not fun. You know, if it's something that you really feel passionate about, then it certainly makes it not seem like work. And so, um, again, I've embraced opportunities to learn more about you know business and things that I didn't know before I started this, and it certainly made the you know the pathway a lot more smooth. But really just getting in touch with why you're doing, why you want to do what you think you want to do and why people will want to come and utilize whatever goods or services you're offering. And so what makes you different? And um, so finding your value proposition is, is certainly um, necessary in starting mm. a new business. Legacy Hustlers, what you hear Chris talking about is just obvious, finding your why. What is your passion? What is it that drives and motivates you? When you look at the world and what's going on, what is it that you want to solve, right? And being able to bring that to bear. You have your talents, you have your skill sets, you have your gifts that you've been bestowed upon, uh, that has been bestowed upon you. What are you looking to do with those to help others around you and solve those problems? That's what he's getting at with the comments he just made. So Chris, as you think about a uh, business book, magazine, podcast, et cetera, something that you tap into on a regular basis or that, you know, you go to for energy and to fill you back up for, for the world of business, what would that be? It's interesting. You should ask. I'm not a traditionalist where I would say, you know, I read this business book or that business book. I read, I read books that try to help me understand me and help me understand people that I'm working with. And so I'm currently in the middle of a book called Thinking Fast and Slow by Daniel Kahneman. And it really talks about, you know, kind of your system one and system two. It's kind of your reactionary system versus the, how you respond to things if you actually sit and, and meaningfully think about, you know, what's being presented in front of you. And it even tells you how things that are very imperceptible can affect you, your decisions. You know, there are lots of great pearls in the book, but even down to what time, let's say for parole hearings, those who happen you know, around the time of lunchtime are very different, whether it's before the judge had lunch or after they had lunch. Mm. And so things like that, that it just matter for people. And so it becomes important um, in marketing. If you have a business, it um, becomes important in you know, discussing or closing deals. If you're in a business where you're kind of face to face, you know, maybe you decide to have a, a lunch meeting or a meeting after lunch, or you decide, hey, this is not the best time if I want to accomplish this. 
So that, I wouldn't say that's specifically a business book, but I use it to help me in my business. Others are probably more motivational. Um, there's one by David Goggins called Can't Hurt Me. And it talks about how adversity, you know, you can turn that into a positive. You know, there's a lot of self-help books that are just, just smile and smell the roses and life will be great. But life isn't always great for everybody, you know. And mm. unfortunately, there's some things that, you know, say necessity is the mother of all invention. There's some people that will become entrepreneurs because they have no other choice. And so for them to be able to look at whatever their adverse situation is, turn that into a motivating or a positive factor, I think is very important. And so those are the types of things that I read to make me realize that, hey, no matter how bad things are going around me or whatever may be happening in life or in the world, um, there may be there may be a silver lining at some point. And just to further punctuate what Chris is talking about right now, right? Like, and I try to to share this and hopefully you're hearing it as we've engaged other um, entrepreneurs as well. But the ability to recognize that this journey that you're either currently on or you're setting to get ready to embark upon is not going to always be easy. It's not always going to be roses, like Chris just said. And so you need to be um, prepared for some of the downturns or points where things may not go exactly as planned and you'll have to forge through it. So I love the fact that Dr. Gay shared with us this book that you can take a look at and see if it helps inspire and keep you motivated as you go through those down troughs as well. So last question here, what would be a favorite online tool, app, internet resource that you use for your business today that you didn't know about before you had your business? but now cannot see yourself living without. So again, being in a situation where I try to conserve funds and not spend them if I don't have to, um, I don't engage a full, I have not engaged traditionally a full marketing firm. There are lots of firms out there that say, hey, pay us money and we'll do everything for you. Um, but I realized that the products that I produce look like, you know, a fifth grade project. <laughs> and so- the like website you were that, uh, now later's out of fanny pack. Exactly, exactly. So <laughs> the website that's really made a difference is one called Upwork, where you can kind of connect with various, you know, whether it's marketing, websites, you name it, people that have expertise in these areas, and you kind of name the price that you want to have the job completed at, and they will kind of bid for the business, and you can see what their past projects have looked like, and you pick somebody that con that connects well with you. So that's been the biggest, um, I guess technology or website that's made a difference for us on a day-to-day -day basis that I, I know. And let me dig into that just a little bit here, because I have honestly been intimidated by Upwork a little bit. I have not mm -hmm. actually leveraged or utilized it yet because there's so many different sorts of individuals that are out there, right? So how do you identify the right person for what you're trying to do um, when there's so many of those options that are laid there? Like, yeah. What, Sometimes what it's hard. Yeah, sometimes it's hard, but basically I'll, I'll set up the project that I want done and I'll set up the price I want it done for and kind of see who bites. And then I'll look at their body of work. And then we kind of have like a little interview asking questions back and forth and you see how they respond. Some of them are, are quick. You know, by the time I've typed the period, they're sending a response back. Others may be, you know, a few hours or a few days. And granted, there's some people are in different parts of the world. So there's some time differences, but you want to find that person that has the skills and the hunger to complete your job, you know? So just like in business, if you're a little lazy affair and it's like, hey, I'm gonna start a business and people will come, you probably won't do well. You wanna find this person that's looking to do well that, and I look at their reviews, um, how much money they've made. So, you know, based on what they're charging, it'll say they made this amount in the last year. So it's like, hey, a lot of people are using them and they got good feedback. So 
that's kind of how I've narrowed it down. Sometimes it's just been very close where it's like, all right, I've got three. They look great. I'm just going to pick one. Um, there it is. But yeah, it, it certainly is a a lot of options there and you can really go get lost in that rabbit hole. <laughs> so there it is. So using Upwork, he he takes time, looks at a person's portfolio, looks at the history of what they've been able to accomplish and do, checks and sees how responsive they are to uh, when he reaches out um, in, in what they're coming back with. And then the ability to also just sort of check, okay, how much money have they made over the past whatever time period it lays out? And that gives you a sense of how in tune they are with being able to execute work and execute um, on deliverables that are coming their way and how serious they are as well. And so those are some of the criteria that he uses when he's tapping into Upwork. Dr. Gay, I got to say thank you so much uh, for coming sure. on the show and being so absolutely transparent about setting up a business that you were absolutely clueless on, right? In a place where you just didn't know anything about before you got there. And now you absolutely love it. And you've created this model that hopefully others can emulate if they're curious about um, getting into a realm like this. Any last words of wisdom that you'd like to leave our legacy hustlers with? I actually have two, if I may take the liberty. So of one course. of my... Uh, most influential people in life um, was my fifth grade history teacher. Name was uh, Mr. Liverman, Thomas Liverman, and he passed away last year. But one of the the first time I ever heard this quote was from him. He, he kind of ingrained it in us: "Good, better, best. Never let it rest till your good turns to better and your better turns to best." Um, so that is kind of how I approach everything in in life. Is I don't want to do it half heartedly. If I'm going to do it, I'm going to do it. Um, and a personal quote for me is, don't be afraid to fail, but always have a contingency plan. Mm, there it is. Thank you so much again, Dr. Gay. Legacy Hustlers, until next time, don't stand in the way of your own dreams, all right? What's up, Legacy Hustlers? I hope your cup is overflowing with inspiration, motivation, and knowledge after listening to our guests today. And if it was, don't forget to subscribe, like, follow, comment, and share with your friends so we can continue to grow the base of listeners. Shout outs to Chris from Sideline Records for always producing an amazing episode. Jonathan Leonard, we see you. Thank you for the uh, intro music. And to our listeners, until the next time we connect, please don't get in your own way in the pursuit of your dreams.